Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have got a really good dude on this morning. This guy, um, his name is Chad Kneller. And I, I, I apparently that's how you're supposed to also say knife. <laughs> but anyway, and 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 check this out. He has a book called Finding Happy that he just sent me a copy of it with a really beautiful note on the inside. And I'm excited to have this guy on the show. Everybody, welcome Chad Kneller. Kneller to the show. Chad, welcome, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Excited. I'm glad you're here, man. So, um, you know, I have, I have interviewed 250-ish celebrities and entrepreneurs and 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 man i started this show a couple years ago to help people get unstuck in life people get stuck they stay stuck they live in their story and i just think that that we can we can help people by telling our stories so let's start with your story and talk about where you were born and raised so i was born in decatur illinois some know it as the armpit of, of illinois and uh, <laughs> that's where I was born. I went to school uh, all through grade school in, in uh, Mount Zion, Illinois. And then my junior year, my dad got a job at a car factory in Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington okay. Normal. And so we moved my junior year up there and then uh, lived in, in Bloomington Normal and, and uh, up until graduated high school. And that's when I took off on, on some army adventures after that. Oh, Bloomington nor Normal? As opposed to Bloomington abnormal, correct. Why? Why is it Bloomington normal? Is that well, the I, name I, of the town? Yeah, it's it, well, it's Bloomington and normal, so we call it Bloomington normal. Half of it's Bloomington, the other half's normal. So I guess you move there to feel a little more normal. It's it's literally the town name is normal. Yep. <laughs> wow. Wow. Is there like a town called Chaos nearby? Or like, <laughs> what the heck? Normal Illinois? I've never heard of that, man. Never heard of that. So, so you're from you're from the Midwest, man. Yes, sir. That's awesome. I'm here in Ohio. So, so you um, you went to school in Bloomington. You said right. Well, Mount Zion, grew up in Mount Zion. And then when we moved to the Bloomington Normal area, I actually, I actually went to my junior and senior year at a, a high school called Olympia High School, which is out in the middle of a cornfield. And about eight different villages kind of fed in there. So it was kind of different going from a, a, a larger school in Mount Zion, Illinois, to a real smaller yeah. school. And, you know, and for the being exposed to all these uh, farmers, you know, it was, it was kind of a farmer's community. Yeah. Did you work on a farm? No, never did. I had one no. friend that, that lived on a pig farm though. And the deal was when I spent the night with him, uh, we got woke up about five 30 by his dad saying up and Adam boys. And I got to help with the chores. And so I didn't wow. stay with him very often. <laughs> yeah. Right. No kidding. Like, nah, dude, I'm good. I'm not coming over. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with, um, growing up in that area, you said you, you graduated high school and then went into the army. Yes. Well, yeah, thank so, you for your service. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, I had no, I was just, 
kind of like a typical high schooler, a lot of high schoolers. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was a recruiter at our school one day and he said, Hey, we'll uh, pay you money for college. If you don't know what you want to do for college. And I thought, well, why not go into the military for a few years yeah. and then have them pay for my college since I didn't know what I wanted to do anyway. So yeah, that was kind of the beginning of a, a whole new adventure of jumping on a Greyhound bus 12 days after you turn 18 and off you go out in the middle of uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And, you know, people wow. yelling at you all day. And that was a, a brand new experience for sure. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> dude, that sounds like a, 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 a pyramid scheme. <laughs> sounds like they're scamming you. I'm kidding. So, so you, um, so you, you went into the army and at 18 years old and how did that go? And what would you sign up for four years? I signed up for three. Yeah. Three, three years. I think they were going to give me 20 some thousand for college. Plus in Illinois, you get the Illinois veterans grant. So you don't pay tuition anyway, just by being a veteran. So it was, it was a good plan. Um, ran off into the, into the military. And that's really kind of where I, I guess I started to major in partying, you know, the military, mm. I, I ended in Germany when I was 19 and there's no drinking age there. So my life started to revolve around the party oh. and I just party, yeah. party, party. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing until you end up with, you know, so many warrants for your arrest and thousands of dollars in fines. And it doesn't, it doesn't, didn't go anywhere real well for me. Right. Right. So, so talk a little bit about what, what went on in the, I mean, did you, did you ever think I'm going to make a career out of the army or? No. And it's, it's interesting because full circle of after I got out of the military, I ended up going back in 11 years later and had to start off at a lesser rank than when I got out, you know, at age 21. So, Oh, geez. But I was just focused. I was going to do my three years um, and then go to college. And, you know, I took the whole yeah. last year in the military deciding what I wanted to do. And I wanted to, I want to be an actor. So I went to signed up for acting school, Illinois state university. And I started nice. going there. And then along the way, I started singing in a band. And this is about 1994. I started singing wow. in a band and I dropped out of college because I wanted to do music full time. And yeah. um, just, you know, that led to more and more partying, which most of the 90s is a blur for me because it was party, party, party through the whole decade. Wow. Wow. Um I, 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 I can relate. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just leave it there. I, I'm sure we passed each other in some kind of a blur at one point in the nineties, but, but so, so you, um, what, I, so what happened? I mean, you were in this band. Did you guys like become famous? Did you, what, what'd you end up doing? So interesting that we, we did went through the whole thing, put a CD out. We had management in Chicago, uh, at one point, management said we were supposed to quit our full-time jobs, go apply at temp agencies. We'd be on the road for two, three weeks at a time. And our lead guitar player had two kids and a boat payment and two cars and a house. And he said he can't do that for three unless we have guaranteed. And and at the time, right. we had the big the big head. You know, we thought we were going to be going on tour with Kid Rock or Corn uh, anytime. And so we were waiting for the the bigger thing. And it just kind of right. fizzled. It really just kind of fizzled and. Um, and, and amidst all that, in, in 1999, I had a younger brother. So I have, I have uh, two brothers and a sister. And my younger brother, at age 15, he, uh, he committed suicide. And so that put my whole family in this crazy state of, of disarray. And, and that, same, that same year, 
I'd been dating a girl for four years and we were, we were breaking up and it was just, it was bad. It was, a, it was one of the most darkest, depressing points of my life was 1999. And it just kind of had culminated. There was all this, all this partying and then this relationship breakdown and, and my brother commits suicide. And I remember being there in 1999, just thinking, man, I don't want to, I don't want to live anymore. But I, I knew if I took myself out, that I was, I might as well take my parents out too, because they were barely hanging on by a thread. And so it was just a tough, tough place. Um, in the late nineties. Yeah. Wow. I can't, I can't even imagine that man. How, how, and how old were you when your brother, when your brother passed? I was 26. Were you, were you guys close or? Well, the thing is, is we, we're, we're close and drifted close and drifted. But during that season of life, I was just focused on myself. You know, I was focused on my music career. I was focused on how could other people help me and serve me. And just in that very selfish place, just just young, dumb, and didn't really understand a lot about life that I understand now. And I was pursuing what I thought would make me happy. You know, the, the, the partying and the girls and the fame and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, in the middle of all that, it just uh, everything started to break down. If Kid Rock would have only woken his butt up and seen the talent, that's right. What's funny <laughs> is we had we had our our uh, our drummers, one of our drummers' friends' wives was one of the lead dancers in Kid Rock's Cowboy video. So we had these different connections where we were able to get our our music to you know to these different these different people. And they yeah. liked it. Everybody always liked it. And then they were like, well, you know, work on this or work on this. And, and we were getting great response. We were playing in uh, Chicago and, and all around the place and in Illinois, Peoria opening up for some big bands of the time. And, and so it was, we felt really good about where things were headed. Um, but wait, now wait, wait. back. Didn't you say you went to acting school? Did you leave acting school to do the band thing? Yeah. I dropped out, dropped out of college. I actually went into college and dropped out three different times. I finally got my four-year degree after 15 years. So I ultimately I circled around, but I did the non-recommended 15-year bachelor degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That there's there are people that get uh, get PhDs faster than that. <laughs> That's right. So so you went. Um, so the band eventually fizzled out, and w- were you still in Illinois at the time? Yes. Okay. And what, what happened from there? I mean, did you have to go get a job? Well, so when the, when the band fizzled out, um, the girl I'd been with for four years and together apart, together apart, I ended up getting married and that didn't even last a year. It was, it was just, there was so much, so many issues going into that in the first place. Um, and so that, did you get married thinking if we, if we get married, we can fix these problems. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And it didn't fix, it didn't fix anything. They just got worse. Yeah. And a big part of it was just who I was. I wasn't, I wasn't marriage material at the time. I, you know, it wasn't, right. I didn't understand <laughs> things I understand now. And so for me, like, and then that band didn't work out, but I was always in bands and I was making money just playing in bands, doing, uh, uh, you know, like playing on the weekends, doing cover songs and in bars and things like that. And just kind of drifting you know, I was just in that kind of drifting phase of life. And I'll never forget because it was, this was a turning point in my life was August, August 24th, 2003. I was in a band called One Shot Twice and we were playing at this benefit and this uh, 
our drummer's son's best friend had died. So we agreed to do the benefit and I was running sound and there were six bands playing that day. And it was just kind of a tip, you know, it was kind of a Sunday and it was a smaller place and nothing yeah. was happening. And then this woman walked through the door and I looked at her and I went, <gasps> and I elbowed my guitar player. And I said, that is my future wife. And he said, no man, that's my future wife. And I said, well, we'll see about that. And <laughs> we, uh, I met her that night and it was on a Sunday. And then we ended up, uh, hanging out all day, all night. The next day she had to go back to St. Louis and then we moved in together the following Friday. So we met oh on Sunday, God. moved in together on Friday, two months later, uh, found out she was pregnant and it was this whirlwind, but it, it, uh, well, well, 10 days, 10 days after I met her, I was arrested with six warrants for my arrest and she came and bailed me out. So I knew she was a keeper at that point. I was like, Oh my gosh, this girl's a keeper. <laughs> Dude, that is not generally on people's list of reasons that they should keep someone around. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay, so uh, let, let's back up. Why in God's name did you have six warrants? What did you do? It was silly things, really. Like, like one is, I, I never knew if you get, I lived downtown at one point and- Hey, there's there Glenn Morshower. Hey, hey, Glenn. Great to see you. So I've been talking about you for the last two days, Glenn. That's awesome. No, so, so um, you know, when you live downtown, they have all these rules, right? They've got like, you can only park on this side of the street between five and seven, but you can park on the other side of the street between 10 and two. And I'm, I'm so confused. I'm like out there moving my car, moving my car. And finally one day I said, you know what? I'm done moving my car. And so I'd go out there every day and there'd be parking tickets and I'd just stick them in the glove box. And there'd be more and I'd stick them. Well, if you don't pay, they start off being $5 and then they turn to 10 or 20 each. And then if yeah. you just continue to not pay, then you end up getting a warrant for your arrest. So that was one of them. And then I had, uh, you know, gotten so many traffic tickets that my license was suspended, but I didn't care. I mean, I just kept driving anyway. Right. Cause, right. and then I just decided I wasn't going to go pay the tickets or show up to court or do anything. <laughs> one of them was public urination. So outside one night and I just had to go. And, uh, and there was a guy, I was with a guy and he's on the other side of my car. And he said, don't look behind you now, but there's a police officer just pulled up and we're on a hill. So as I was going to the bathroom, the stream is literally going down. And so by the time I turned around and saw the lights, the police officer just says, did everything come out? Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So these all culminated into six and now wow. I met a woman and now I'm like, man, I, I probably, I probably need to get my stuff together. When, when she first introduced me to her father, he said, does this one at least have a driver's license? And oh, I was kind of like, I'm, I will soon. I'm getting it back. I promise. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> probably every father's nightmare that, you know, you don't want your daughter to bring me home to meet, oh. uh, to meet you. So that's just, that's where I was. I mean, I'm just, when I was 30 years old and I was, that's where I had landed from the choices I had made, you know, and I had made some bad ones at that point in life. Wow, dude. Wow. Yeah. I, if my daughters brought you home now, nah, if like, you know, wow. I'm sure I, I would have disappeared. <laughs> I have uh, one too. My, da my daughter's 12 and I've already got like the criteria. I'm like, if it doesn't meet this, 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 just don't even bother. Like it's, it's right. not happening. You're like, I am not afraid to go back to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so 
Wow. Okay. So you met, you met this woman. She, you said two months later, she was pregnant. You were living together. Um, you had your first child, I'm assuming within about nine months after that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we follow the, <laughs> the normal gestation period. Um, so, so what, what, okay. So what happened? What, where, where did things go from? So you get, she bailed you out of jail. I, I'm assuming everything kind of took care of everything at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she bailed me out. And, and when we found out she was pregnant, we said, <laughs> Look she quick, looked at me and said, said, you gave that cup. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so uh, it's funny. Cause we got together and we kind of looked at each other one day and she said, and we knew we were going to have a child. And she kind of looked at me and said, I don't know if you're really quality father material. And I kind of looked at her and said, I don't really know if you're quality mother material. And so we both knew that something had to change. Um, and, and after we talked to, together, we said, well, where can we meet some good couples? You know, cause we wanted to get away from our single friends. We wanted to get away from the party and lifestyle. We wanted to grow up, I guess. And so we, um, my wife was, a uh, at the time she was a uh, waitress at Cracker Barrel. So she was at Cracker Barrel one day and a pastor walked in and I was in a company at the time and we were looking to recruit pastors. And so I said, Hey, you know, you should get his, get his information. And so he was kind enough for us to sit down with him and share with him what we were, what we were doing at the time. And he invited us to a couple's night. And so we went to the couple's night and we loved it. And so we were there and, and, and during the timing, the timing, all this is interesting too, because I had to go because of the six warrants and because of all the stuff and the parking tickets and all that, I had to go uh, and I had gotten a DUI and in the state of Illinois, when you get on get a drive driving on a suspended license after DUI, it's automatic jail time. So I had to go to jail for two weeks. And wow. I decided when I was in jail, and first of all, what's crazy is this was the time, I don't know if you guys remember the song by Hoobastank, but there's a song called The Reason. And it's, it's uh, you know, it says, uh, I found a reason for me to change who I used to be. A reason to start over new. And the reason is you. And so I'm in jail and that song, it just seems like it was playing on repeat. Like it was playing every single day over and over and over. And it was just wow. sinking in and sinking in. I was like, okay. And I'd already heard of Jim Rohn and I already knew it already been deep in, in, inside me planted that if I would change, everything could change for me. And so now here I am, I want to change. I have reasons to change. I sat there, I, I sat, I grabbed a Bible when I was in, in, uh, in jail and I just divided it by 14, like the total number of pages. I think it was 80 some pages. And I sat there and I read 80 some pages a day. I read the whole entire Bible in two weeks, other than I skipped the one chapter where it's just like so-and-so begot. So the, the whole genie, the, the, yeah, you know, I skipped that chapter because I started yeah. reading it. I was like, okay, these, I can't go through this one anymore, <laughs> but I read yeah. through all of it and I had like 50 or 60 questions. When I got out, I went to that, sat down with that pastor. And I just, I just started asking this, asking that, asking that. And that was the beginning of a, of a huge change for us. One of the next things we knew we needed to do was get away from our old lives, get away from our old friends and the, to the toxic environment that we had created in that area. So I went back uh, March 5th, 2000, 2000 uh, what year was that? 2005. Yeah. I went back into the military and, you know, I had left as a specialist and now I had to go back in as a private 
So I'm 30. Wow. It's very humbling. So it was like starting life over where I should, you know, I felt like I was like 18 again. So I had to go back in the military and I, I was 30 years old and had 20 year olds, you know, telling me what to do. And so it was very humbling. <laughs> <laughs> but, Dude, that would suck. Yeah, I, I did. couldn't it do did. that. It sucks. Uh, so you, you have this? Oh yeah. yeah. I have, I have, I love that. I told Kyle, I told Kyle, I said, dude, after Kyle and I became friends and he kept talking about this booklet and he was showing it to me on camera and I'm like, all right, I got on jimrone.com and bought 20 of these to, to give away. So yeah, amazing little booklet. But so, so you went back into the military. Wow. How long? Yeah. Well, when I went back in, I thought it was going to be a career. Um, so I went back in and I promoted fairly quickly within three years. I was a staff sergeant in the military. And when I, when I had promoted a sergeant though, you have to go to sergeant school. Basically they call it a warrior transition course. And when I was there out of the blue, one of my instructors said, Hey, I want you to uh, share the army values with the class. You have five minutes. So I got up and I shared it. And when I got done, he said, you know what? He said, have you ever considered becoming an officer? He said, I've, wow. I've met a lot of officers but you just did it just as good as any officer I've ever heard speak and you should consider it. And that seed planted and I couldn't get out of my mind. I was just like, man, Colonel Canneller sure does sound cool. I was like, that'd be great, wouldn't it? And so it was just there and I had to end up, you know, I had to finish my bachelor's degree and I, and I was full-time military. So I ended up doing it on nights and weekends for a couple of years uh, just to get it done. And then I went and, in 2010, I think it was, I commissioned became an officer. So then now I'm really invested in the military. So at that point, I'm like, all right, I am all in 20, 30 years. till they drag me away, kicking and screaming. Wow. And so now that brings us to like 2012. And at the beginning of 2012, I would have said, there's no way I would leave the military. But by the end of 2012, I couldn't leave the military fast enough. So that was, wow. a, again, another huge transitional point. And really three things happened. One, that happened was I had planned a, uh, a Disney vacation, our first family vacation to go to Disney. You know, you kind of, mm. it's a big event, right? Oh, I, have yeah. my, I have my little girl, you know, she's like, and, and where were you guys living by the way? At that point, um, we were in, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. When I, when I commissioned, I commissioned as a uh, field artillery officer. So I went straight to Clarksville, Tennessee to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So, wow. So I'm at Fort Campbell and we have this epic uh, trip planned and we're getting ready to, you know, we're counting down the days. I'm telling my daughter about Disney and my older son. We're so excited to go. And about 10 days before vacation, they say, my commander calls me and says, I hate to do this, but we have to withdraw your leave. Uh, there's some more pre-deployment training that came up that we have to do. You're going to have to do your vacation on the, on the back end. Now these are non-refundable tickets. And the worst yeah. part of this, though, is sitting down with my daughter specifically and, and saying, oh. hey, honey, I know we're supposed to go to Disney, but we can't now. We have to change it till after I get back. And so, you know, the big old alligator tears. And she said, but daddy, you said. Mm. And I thought to myself, man, I did say. <clears throat> and But wow. now because of my commitment and in the, in the military, you're a soldier 24-7. So that happened. Another guy I'd been in officer school with, he was like West Point uh, quarterback. You know, he was the fastest guy, one of the smartest guys, just got married, everything going for him. And he, um, he was, he was in Afghanistan just a few days and hit an IED. 
it blew up his vehicle, broke both of his legs. He still got out and walked to the stretcher because of the, 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 the trauma, the head trauma. He died Jeez. during the medevac. So now I'm looking at this like, man, I'm not bulletproof. Uh, if anyone was bulletproof, it was that guy. And I, I felt like our job was safe because a field artillery guy, normally you're kind of in the background, you know, you're supporting the infantry, the infantry's right. in the real danger. But I'm like, Oh, I don't know about that. That's rough. And then now when I am deployed, this is December in 2012. So I'm deployed. And uh, my job was I had a group of six guys and I'm, we're, we're traveling around Afghanistan, teaching the Afghans how to, how to shoot their artillery. Cause they really didn't know. How and many so, guys? I was in charge of six guys. Six, so small, okay. Yeah. Small group of six. We had about yeah. four locations that we had to travel to. And so I meant we're in and out of airports all the time. So I'm in an airport and I, I open up, I have wife, you know, the Wi-Fi was working in the airport. And so I open it up, I get on Facebook and I see my wife literally pleading for, for prayer. She made a post that our two-year-old son you know, our two-year-old son had, had had a lot of health issues and stuff. And he was growing up, you know, there's just yeah. like, he started crawling later, you know, he, he started walking, you know, after he was two years old, that kind of thing. And so he was just very, got sick very easily and that sort of thing. And so I already knew he had gotten croup and he was on breathing treatments. But this day mm -hmm. I get on this post and my wife says, please pray. I'm, I'm on my way now to the ER. My son is internally hemorrhaging and he's getting a blood transfusion right now. And oh it's not God. looking good. And so I'm like, uh, I'm in an airport. So all I'm thinking is, hey, guys, look at this. I got to go home. I'm 7,300 miles from home. I'm like, I need oh to go like, right now. And because of my position and because of the decision of my chain of command, I had to fly the wrong direction. And I had to go fill out some paperwork, turn in my weapon. And it took me about a day and a half just to get back to that same airport to get back on way home. Now the good news is my son's fine. And I got home Christmas Eve. And so I was able to open presents up. My other two kids had no clue. It was a big surprise. Daddy, you know, I walked in the door, my, my wife filmed it. They're like, Oh my gosh, dad's home Christmas together. So it ended up being a great story. Right. Wow. But, but I told my, it was one of those never again moments, you know, like I remember Jim Rohn saying his never again moment with the Girl Scout cookies, you know, Girl yeah. Scout shows up selling them cookies. He just doesn't have the $2. And he's so embarrassed he lies to her and he's like, I already have plenty of cookies from the last person or whatever. And then he's like, never again. That was his moment, never again. So for me, I was like, I am never again going to tell my kids something and not be able to do it. I'm never again going to put, put myself in a position where I have to be 7,000 miles from home and I can't go home when my family needs me the most. So on that flight home in 2012, I literally mentally retired from the military and I knew it was just a matter of figuring it out. You know, how was I going to actually leave? Right. And a couple months before that, my wife and I had joined a, a network marketing company and we, we were playing around with it, making a couple thousand dollars with it. But because I was able to come home from that mid January of 2013, we were able to go to a conference and we sat down there in this conference and we saw the success stories. We saw the potential. We decided to go all in came home and from July 16th or sorry, January 16th to April 30th, we literally quadrupled my military income with our part-time um, business income. And wow. I was able to, it took, I had to put in a, it's called a refrad packet in the military. I put in a packet in, took about six months. And then February 1st, 2014, got out of the military, been out of the military wow. since. And what's funny about this whole thing is in the military, you know, I, my, my grind was always get, 
to six figures. So we could be six figure family. To me, that felt like a good number, you know, of, of right. and when we made the transition, we, we never made six figures in the military, but we've never made less than multiple six figures with our, with our side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> so it turned out to be this great thing. And, and along the way, you know, I've been able to do fun things like write a book and, and just document the, the, the path, you know? Yeah. That one right Finding there. happy. That's awesome, dude. Wow. So what you're, so your, your business, your main business is network marketing. Yes. That's our main source of income. And then I've got, you know, some other little side things, but that's, that's our bread and butter. That's, that's so awesome, man. Good for you. So, um, <clears throat> did you ever go to Disney? Yes. We've been there like four times now. I mean, I'm actually getting tired of Disney. <laughs> I'm like, can we yeah. go somewhere new? Can we go? Can we go? There's like nothing like the first time, man. And never, you <laughs> never get that high back. So, right. so talk about, um, talk about the transition from being a partier to, I mean, I'm assuming you're not a partier anymore. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. No, not like that. I mean, I'll have a, I'll have a drink, a social drink here and there, yeah. but I'm not, uh, yeah. I'm not just, just if you wonder what my life was like, just watch the Doors movie, Jim Morrison. And that was pretty, that's kind of who I was modeling myself after back then was, it was a lot of people in the, the 27 club, you know, people who never yeah. survived past 27. And I was living like I wasn't going to live past 27. So right. a whole, whole different way of living. And, and honestly, for me, Ken, it was, uh, it was finding the Lord. It was, it was just deciding to um, surrender my life and understand that if I could live for something outside of myself and, and just studying and really, truly becoming a Christ follower, it changed everything for me. And it started with just that first time there. I mean, one of my first arguments with a pastor, I was trying to, I had a brother who was talking about getting married soon, wanted me to be the best man. And so this conversation came up between me and my wife that if he chose to go to a strip club, that it should be okay with her if I go to a strip club. And so I, I argued with a pastor about all the reasons why it should be all right for me to go see naked other naked women in a strip club, even though I was with my wife. And then what it boiled down to is he just kind of said, well, if you're going to do that to uh, purposefully upset your wife, how many other things are you going to do to purposefully upset your wife? And, and that was just a huge moment for me. And I was like, man, life isn't just about me anymore. Now I've yeah. got a wife. And we're bringing in a, we're, we're having a child. So there's a lot more to this now than just my wants, needs, and desires. And it yeah. took a long time to get through this thick head um, for me to understand those types of things. So what are, what do you live your life for today? I live my life for my family and just really significance. You know, I think it was John Maxwell that says success is great, but once you've tasted significance, success no longer satisfies. So when I can, that's why I love, I love the, your, your theme here of, of breaking through walls, because when I can help someone understand that they're operating here and that yeah. they could be operating here, I mean, something as simple as how many people have just, they just walk through the reality that their Mondays are just always going to suck because their parents' Mondays always sucked and their friends' right. Mondays suck and their Mondays. And so I, I, my, I, I can relate because I used to be that way. And so one thing I ask people is, hey, if your Friday isn't as, if you're not as happy on a Monday as you're on a Friday, then 
why not make some changes? Because it's possible. You know, Jim yeah. Rohn said from testimonials and personal experience, we have enough information to conclude that it's possible to design and live an extraordinary life. So I've been able to design and live an extraordinary life for myself. And yeah. now what I love to do is help other people design and live their extraordinary lives. And I just, I believe that we're made for more. And, and most people don't know that until, until someone comes along, interrupts them and says, hey, guess what? You're made for more and you can have more and be yeah. more than you are right now. And that's really what it boils down to is, is like Jim would say, to have more, you have to become more. And so it's just becoming more. So I, I'm a, uh, I love to consume personal development. That's why hearing Glenn the other day, I just love Glenn, Les Brown, Jim Rohn, you know, all the, all those guys just love to learn and hear from those guys. So, you, you know, this is, this is about, you know, this show is about getting unstuck, right? Like I, I told, uh, when I, when I told my wife, Hey, and she, I, I way, way, way out kicked my coverage with my wife. She's so much smarter than me. And, and, and I, I, I said, Hey, I'm going to start a show where I interview celebrities and entrepreneurs. And, and she's like, cool. What's it going to be about? I said, getting unstuck. And she goes, what are you going to call it? I go, getting unstuck. <laughs> and she, go, she goes, why wouldn't you use your last name and call it breakthrough walls? I go, Okay, see, I'm getting unstuck already, so it's working. <laughs> so, so, um, but you know, the, I mean, dude, I, I'm a recovered alcoholic with seventeen, almost eighteen years of sobriety, and it's a blessing and a gift for me. And I didn't see it like that in the beginning, but you know, it is a gift. And and I look at it and I go, you know, I, I've helped a lot of people over the years remove their head from their rear end and get their, their life together. Um, but there's a lot of people that I've seen that didn't and they didn't make it and they literally did not make it in life. And, and it, it breaks my heart because I know that you're, you're only one decision away from having a completely different life. And, and my, so my question for you is to those people that are stuck, they're just stuck. They don't know how to get unstuck. They're, they're right now with this whole coronavirus scare and everybody freaking out and walking around wearing masks and, 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 you know, living in fear. There's people that haven't had a paycheck or any money come in in two months. You know, like, what do you say to those people that are stuck and paralyzed in fear? And I mean, we've been there, right? You've been there paralyzed mm -hmm. where you're like, I don't know what the next move is. So I'm just going to hide. <laughs> right. So yeah. what do you say to those people? How do you help somebody have that shift in their mind to get unstuck? Well, I think first it's, it's, we have to, we have to, I think it starts with taking responsibility for where we are right now. And we have to say, instead of trying to blame, like, cause I, I've been there too. So I understand the mindset of the person who blames everything and says, well, if just that would change and that would change and that would change and all this outside external things would change, then I would be better. What we have to do first is, is take the power back and say, I'm here in this spot 
because yeah. I made this decision and this decision and this decision. And then once you own it, then you can say, man, if those decisions got me here, where would new decisions take me? You know, and, and to have what we've never had, we have to do what we've never done. And so it just becomes as simple as, okay, let's get out the drawing board, maybe wipe the slate clean. I believe right now that this is going to be this whole COVID-19. I think this is going to be the greatest blessing in thousands of people's lives. I think yeah. it's disrupted their life and it's caused them to bring, come back to the drawing board. And now they go, okay, we're, we're this was our routine. This is what we're doing all these years, but now let's look, let's, let's open up. Let's, you know, instead of being the chicken that's confined to the chicken pen and, and just pecking and getting the food yeah. or going swimming around in the circle, you know, now let's kind of, let's, let's look from a, a bird's eye view, the 30,000 square foot view and go, Oh, wow. Well, I could go back to school. I could do this. I could try that. I could try that. I've always wanted to, this was my hobby. I've always thought about making it into a business. Maybe now's the time. And, you know, in the book, I talk about 10 keys to living an extraordinary life. And so, you know, one of the keys, the first one is just dreaming big. And I think, I think a lot of us, every single kid we meet has dreams. You know, you don't, you don't yeah. meet a kid and you say, Hey, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They got some ideas. You yeah. know, and, and we listen and we're like, oh, you're going to be a princess, you know, or you're going to be a, uh, I remember I wanted to be Indy. I saw Indiana Jones. I was like, I'm being archaeologist <laughs> and have bad guys chasing, you know, the adventure, right? I mean, right, it, right. It, or you watch Rocky <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to be a professional boxer. I'm going to be a world champion. And then at some point you get older and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, work this $12 an hour job forever. And I, uh, well, right. You know? <laughs> right. So I think we had to, part of getting unstuck is realizing you're stuck and realizing that there's, other options and that you can you think, design and live an extraordinary life. I, I, man, I, you know, one of, one of my things is I think that, that man, people don't think and dream and they, they, they become adults and they get into that, that what you're talking about, they get into that, that job. Maybe it's way more than $12 an hour. Maybe they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year or they're making 150 grand a year, but they, and they know there's more. They know there's more, dude. I, I sat here with my nine-year-old daughter last night. I, I pulled up a video of an $18 million home in San Diego that's for sale. I'm like, this is going to be our next home. She goes, what? <laughs> and it's, dude, it is, it is laid out. It's a nice crib, right? And she's like, what? How are we getting that? And I go, well, we got to come up with $18 million. <laughs> she's like, well, so she sits down, crosses her legs and sits down here in my office. She goes, so how are we going to make $18 million, dad? How, how are we going to do that? Like, and, and, you know, I show her these things to, to make her dream. But I think that there's so many people living that at nine years old, they would have believed that, yeah, maybe that's possible. But at 50 years old, they're like, yeah, it's never happening for me. Right. Uh -huh. How do you, do you, how do you get somebody to remove those blinders to see bigger, to dream bigger? Man, it's definitely a process, isn't it? You it know, you is. Have to, you have to, I think it starts with just, it's like that rubber band, you know, you just got to stretch it a little bit. And when you stretch it, it doesn't go back. You stretch it a little bit. And so, you know, like with, with our profession, network marketing, it's constantly just um, building belief. You know, it's, it's building belief in people you know, it, it, in, in, in different areas. You know, you have to build belief in, in a company. You have to build belief um, in products. And most importantly, though, it's building belief in ourselves. It's, it's looking in the mirror 
and starting to see ourselves differently. Yeah. Started to see ourselves. I remember one time I worked in this car factory, the, the one where my dad worked at and, and I, um, I started meeting these guys have been there for years. And, and after you're there for so long, you know, you get carpal tunnel. So they go in and have a wrist surgery and they do the torquing under the cars. They go and get a shoulder surgery and a, a yeah. knee surgery. And, and these guys are, and they'd start joking about it. They'd say, man, I'm, I need some money for a trip coming up. I think I'm about to go get another surgery. And I'm just like, man, you guys are literally like selling your health away for surgeries, you know? And yeah. at one point I had to ask myself, someone asked me, uh, how much would I charge someone for my, for my right arm? And I said, well, I wouldn't sell my right arm for anything. And they said, well, why the heck are you selling your whole body for 22 bucks an hour in this place? And Amen. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. And so I think part of it is just, it's, it's, it really boils down to what are we worth? What do we feel we're worth? And if we, if we know we're worth more and we become worth more and we add more value to the marketplace yeah. and we get paid more. And, and it's just, it's part of, for me, it's part of being happy is just always growing, growing shouldn't stop when we get done with school. And I think for yep. most people, they're like that phase of life is over. Let's yeah. go on to the next part. And we're fed this script, right? We're fed the script, go to school, get good grades, get a good job, have the house, have the marriage, have the car, 2.5 kids, 40 years, and then retire on 40% of what you made. And that's kind of, and then, you know, and then you get to finally have fun at age 65 when you get to go fishing all the time. And that's kind of the script and what we've society as a society have bought, have bought into. And that script yeah. just doesn't work like it used to. Right. And so I think we have to, you know, just not conform. We, we just have to understand who we are and why we're here. And that's a great question to ask. Who am I and why am I here? Yeah. And I think it's for more than just to eat some food and sleep and, you know, have some babies. And then die. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. So, so um, what are some of the things that you do to help other people? Well, I, one thing I do every year, um, I do a men's, I do a men's retreat every single year. And I think I love, I love to come in with guys and help them turn the, turn the light bulbs on. Um, I think that's so, so huge for, for a couple of years ago, we had, a. uh, so when I, I was, I wrestled in high school and then my senior year, I uh, went to state and had some buddies in state and met, uh, Matt and Mark Hughes. Now, Matt Hughes went on to be a legendary nine time UFC champion. And what's interesting about his story is he'd retired and he was driving his truck one day and got hit by a train. Wow. And, um, he was in a coma for 19 days and he came out of the coma and he's still, you know, he's, he's slow speech. Like it, what's crazy though, is that he didn't get one scratch hit by a train, didn't get one scratch on his body, but in a coma brain trauma. Right. But mm. when he came out, you know, he didn't recognize his wife at first. He had to relearn how to talk. And it helped him. It, it, it was what he called a wake up call. It woke him yeah. up to who he had become. You know, he was a jerk. He was a jerk husband, a jerk father. And so after, after that, it was awake. We have we actually, the theme that year was awaken. And we have a shirt we made with train tracks, you know, and, wow. and it's, it's pretty cool. But so I feel like a lot of us go through life and it's possible, isn't it? To kind of go through life and kind of a, a numbed out, just kind of like. Uh, half awake state of mind. Yeah. I mean, we, it's easy in America, especially, I mean, food, water, shelter, it's not that difficult to, to right. survive. Right. Right. And so, right. so many people walk around breathing, but they're not living. And so right. for me, it's this, I love to help people wake up. I love to, I love to wake them up 
and help them see that, oh my gosh, I'm living here, but I could be living here. And then just start spending more time working on goal achieving than tension relieving. So it's we're in this culture where it's like, let's get by and relieve our tension and check out, you know, and medicate ourselves as a society as often as possible. So just, I, I love to do that with men, especially. And I just know if you can put a strong, I think the breakdown of society starts in the home. And if yep. you can get the guy right, if you can get a solid guy that's going to take care of his wife and his children like he should, then yeah. I think that, I think we get better. I think I, I think we can do a lot better than a fifty percent divorce rate. You know, I think we yeah. can get it to sixty or seventy. Um, and it and it starts with the man, though. It starts with the man in the home. So I like to do that, and I just I just love to I love to help people see who they are. You know, I love to help them see the only. We look in the mirror, and we all see the dirt. The dirt. The dirt. The dirt's easy to see, but the gold. And so many people have gold inside them. And they don't even know it because no one has told them that their entire right. life. No one's even told them. I think Mark Twain said, we can go three months off a compliment. How many people do we know that no one's even told them good job or a parent never told them I'm proud of you or right. I love you. So when we can come into someone's life and maybe it's just for a season of a couple hours or a couple days, but if we can come into their life and we can plant something that's going to end up growing later, plant seeds. And so yeah. I just love, I love being a, a hope broker, dream builder, faith instiller, you know, whatever you want to call it. I, I love uh, just doing something for so because I had people that did it for me. I had a guy uh, came along in my life, you know, and and it was it was one of the darkest you know parts before I'd met Jerry and I'd, after I'd been divorced and stuff like that. And and he uh, he'd been in jail for three years. Um, he came out as a felon. But what he did was he figured out how to make it in network marketing. He came to me and he said, I see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. And I would pay, if you would come with me to this weekend, I would cover your trip and I will support you and I'll teach you what I know. And that guy believed in me at a time in my life when I didn't believe in myself. And so I'm so thankful for him. And I want to be that guy for as many others as I can, you know, kind of like you're doing here. I want to come along in someone's life and maybe they're barely hanging on by a thread. And yeah. I can say something or I can, I can, you know, not give them a hand out, but give them a hand up, right? If I can give them a hand up and I can, you know, share a Jim Rohn CD with them or something that's just going to click, something that's going to change their life. And then maybe later down the road, I show up in their testimony. To me, that's like when John Maxwell says that, you know, uh, once you've tasted significant success, no longer satisfies. And so for me, that's significant. Significance is doing things that matter with people who care and leaving deposits that grow and grow and grow because you can count the number of, of seeds in an apple, but you can never count the number of apples that are going to come from a seed. So we just plant seeds, plant seeds, plant seeds, you know, and, and like Jim Rohn would say, our job is to plant the seeds and God's job is to grow the trees. And wow. you know, aren't we lucky that we have the easy part? We just do the planting. And let God do his job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's don't don't stand over the seed and shadow out the sunlight and don't overwater it and just let God let let God handle it, man. Surrender. You know, you talked about you talked about that. And and you know, there's a wonderful book, and Glenn and I have talked a lot about this book. It's called Um Power Versus Force. And man, it is one of the most impactful books. I've ever read. It's, it's a, um, 
it's deep, man. It's it's a really really deep book, and and it's um, it's life changing because once you and and I'm gonna give it a really bad summary, but you know, whenever you are trying to force something, like when you're trying to force a relationship, or you you know you're pushing and you're pushing, all you do, and it's a universal principle, is is you create resistance against the very thing that you want, right? So, but when you surrender, when you just surrender, like, hey, man, I planted the seed. This is what I want. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of the way and let God do His job. I'm, I'm telling you that. Yeah, Nancy just posted. It's written by Dr. David David Hawkins. Amazing book. Amazing book. But you know, that's where power comes from. Is surrendering, man. It's where it comes from. So you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Let me ask you this. If somebody, um, because, you know, I'm sure you know who Ray Higdon is. I was talking to Ray last night. He's a buddy of mine and a client of mine and um, great, great leader in network marketing. Um, for somebody right now that has lost all hope, they're out of money, they they don't know what to do next, Um I, I would imagine that whatever business you're in, the network marketing business, I would imagine there's a low barrier to entry like most network marketing companies. Um, you seem like you would be a good upline. <laughs> so like mostly, mostly my wife, but you know, I'm just the extra, I'm the I'm the dot <laughs> on the explanation point at the bottom. <laughs> I love that, man. So how would somebody that's absolutely busted right now, how would they, um, could you, would you be able to help them? Yes. hundred percent. Yes. And, um, you know, anybody can reach out to me, uh, Chad Canellar, K N E L L E R. I know it popped up on here earlier on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way. Um, Instagram, I got a new TikTok account. We're having we're having some fun with TikTok. <laughs> I love a, TikTok. It's a fun platform. <laughs> I know. I love especially, TikTok. Especially Follow if you're kind of goofy. TikTok. Yeah. Uh -huh. Especially if you like to be goofy. You know, that's the spot where you just kind of, you know, let your hair down, which I don't have a whole I got rid of my quarantine hair the other day. My wife. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> nice. But yeah, TikTok. So but but yeah, all day long. I could definitely help people. We're uh in, in an explosive growth season right now. It's interesting how like our company in 2008, 2009, when companies were downsizing, capsizing, that's when our company went debt free. And March slowed down. I think when everyone is, the kids were coming home and everybody was like, whoa, what's going on? But then our, our, per, our team grew 60% last month and we're up about 35% this month. So we're, uh, people need, you know, need what we have and, and people are hurting out there. Like, like you just shared. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, here's the thing, man. I, 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 um, I coach too many people in network marketing to to get involved in network marketing. Plus, I'm focused on my business. But for somebody that and and I'm just going to give you a plug, man, because I, I've made a lot of money in network marketing, and and I I know that for somebody that maybe had a a regular job, I mean, good lord, man, there's people that that you know, they were going to work at that job for, for 40 years or 30 years and retire and, and do everything that, that you, you were talking about. And now 
maybe they got furloughed or laid off or whatever and 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 they're they're going oh crap this isn't working this 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 american dream i was sold 40 years ago is bs man this doesn't work like all like all it took is a is a virus and and now i'm unemployed and have no money what's that all about so I think that that it would be an incredible. I would I would think that right now would be the busiest time you've you've ever seen in your in your network marketing business. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. And you know, when I think of the you know just for example, all the people on unemployment right now. They have those the four months of you know the advanced increased unemployment, which is which is actually causing a lot of people. I know a guy who owns a hotel and he uh, had to let forty four employees go, and then he got the PPP stuff and, and went to bring wow. them back, and only one came back. <laughs> the the wow. other said, no, thanks. I'm I'm happy on this unemployment. We'll figure something else out, you know, after these four months are up. So there's kind of the the runway, you know, that if someone will give this, and, and I've learned in, in network marketing, if you if you really want to go all in, it takes about 90 days to really get something to, to that you can start building. But if you can go all in for 90 days and get focused on it, then you can absolutely build something. So that these people, a lot of the people on unemployment, they've got about 90 more days on unemployment you know, or less. Jeez. Unreal, man. Unreal. Chad, for somebody right now that is absolutely, you know, I, I've, I've told this story. I, the worst, one of the worst days in my life was I had a bunch of employees and, and a guy that worked for me <clears throat> comes walking in my office and he says, Hey boss, there's some dude out, out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I said, well, tell him to get the hell out of here. And he said, well, I would, but he has it blocked with his tow truck. <laughs> Not good, man. He was there to repo my car and he did. And it was unbelievably humiliating. And, you know, for somebody that's maybe just had their car repoed or their electrics getting shut off tomorrow and they're, 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 you know, freaking out. And I have been there. I have been there. What do you say to them in this moment? They don't have two nickels to rub together. What do you say to them right now in this moment to help them get through that and on to the next moment and experience success? Well, first I would just say you, you always have to keep your hopes up. Um, I, I think we under estimate how much things can change, how fast they can change. And because I remember, and there's a point when I was like looking in couches for change to go get a McDonald's cheeseburger, you know, so I, I can, I, I, I remember how that felt and just feeling like, and then, and then you just feel so paralyzed and trapped. And, and it's almost like you, the more you go into this depression and the worse things get, the more you go into depression and it just makes things worse and worse and worse. And the only solution that I've found that really works in that kind of thing is you just have to explode out of the mud. Like you got to explode out of the, I remember one time I was, I was just like, I'll do whatever I went and I was, I was given plasma for a little bit of money. Right. I was, I was going and uh, joined some temp agencies. I was, you know, I'd ask right now, like uh, who, who wants to pay me 20 bucks to, to clean your house, you know, or, or, or what, right. What, do you have anything I can take out to the streets and sell and I'll, give you half the profit. And all. I mean, you just got to become creative. And you, if you need money, like you need air, 
like you figure it out, you know, like we'll yep. figure, you just figure it out. You got to figure it out. And we have these conversations sometimes. Well, people that, you know, they don't have a hundred bucks to get started in a business. And we'll say, well, come on, let's, let's get creative. Let's think about, it. do you have anything that you could, that you could sell? You know, do you, do you really need your TV? I mean, at a point like that, maybe it's best if you sell the TV, right? <laughs> a little more time, you know, making some money instead of checking out, watching, watching the TV. But, um, maybe, maybe read a good book. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That book, that book will definitely help. I'm getting a really, really good feedback from people that, uh, one is a lot of people that say they, they don't like to, they just normally don't read. They sit yeah. down and, and within a few hours, like they're just like, I couldn't put it down. And so they keep, you know, they just get through it all. And then I've gotten some really good testimonies back from people that, that said they felt lost and just didn't know what to do. And now they have a game plan. You know, and they, where, they where can they find, it. where can they find this finding happy Amazon? So, yeah. Yeah. It's all over Amazon. It's on audible, uh, nook, Kindle, all that stuff. If someone wants to, I, I have hardback copies too. Uh, if someone wants to go to findinghappybook.com, there's, you can order bulk there for cheaper and I'll autograph those. Those actually, my son packages those, those up and sends them there. I got a couple thousand of them still in the garage. So we, uh, we, we findinghappybook.com. Right yes, sir. And that yep. that's, I have it scrolling across the bottom of the screen now. So that's where they can get an autographed copy. You said a hardback version. Yeah. I've got soft and hardback version. Yeah. Nice, man. Nice. Um, so finding that's your website. That's where people can go. How much is the book? Uh, I think on Amazon, it's like 11, 12 bucks and it's a little bit more to buy through finding but I'll sign it and, you know, ship it out. Nice. Nice. Dude. I love your story, man. You're, you're a, you're a good dude. I, I was going to go in the army too, by the way, I, I signed up, my best friend and I were signing up for the buddy system to go in together, you know, and, and, um, and he went in and I bailed. <laughs> he still hates me for that. <laughs> well, it looks like it all turned out okay for you. So it all worked out. So, right. um, Nancy just ordered it on audible. You, Oh, it's on audible. You said that, right? Yes. Awesome, dude. That is so, so awesome, man. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we bounce? Well, I just want to say, first of all, if you get the audio, uh, hopefully you don't hear the snoring man in the background. There, there was a, when I went into the studio, there was a guy there and he says he's, he's Muhammad Ali's childhood friend. So that was cool asking questions about that. But I'm, I'm sitting there in this little uh, enclosure thing and reading the book. And then yeah. I hear snoring coming from the couch over there. And I'm like, oh, oh, no. oh man, but I, I don't hear the snoring on there. So it's, so it's okay. <laughs> so the, I think the last thing I just want to share is, um, is just this idea that no matter where we are in life, that God's, he's not finished yet. There's more and there's higher and there's greater. And it's just, there's a, I go to a church called the belonging. If you want to, here's a really, really amazing Christian album. Just go by the, it's the belonging co just, just Google it or wherever and look it up. But one of the songs, it goes like this. It says, um, I won't forget the things you've done for. I know that this is just the beginning and you're not finished yet. And you're not finished yet until I see your promise come and God with all I am. 
I'll keep believing that you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. So I think if we just believe that and we just know that we're a work in progress and we never get the big head like I had in my 20s, that yeah. doesn't go anywhere well. If we just continue to move forward and grow and be humble and learn, then I think we'll, we figure it out you know, along the way, you know, and we get there. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Findinghappybook.com or Amazon. Go grab a copy of Finding Happy by Chad Kanneller. I was going to say, by the way, Colonel Keller would have sounded better. I'm just saying, dude. <laughs> well, if my great-great-grandparents wouldn't have mis mispronounced our name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, you rock, bro. Thank you. Don't hang up on me, but I am going to end the live stream. So thank you to everyone who's watched this, been on here with us. I genuinely appreciate it. I know Chad does as well. You guys have an awesome day. Chad, thanks again for being on, man. You rock. Thank you for having me.